Okay, welcome to uh, Training Children in Godly Living. And you can see from the outline in front of you that I'm dealing first with it intellectually, socially, and physically. And later on, we're going to look at it spiritually. But I'm doing this as a little bit of a surprise for you that it's important to understand that when we raise our children for godly living, we're not just raising them for Sunday godly living, we're not just raising them for pietistic godly living in one area of spirituality. We're not, the goal isn't to raise spiritual geeks. The goal is to raise our people, our young people, so that godliness is stamped in every area of life. Godly intellectual thinking, godly social graces, godly understanding of our physical needs. So if you forget everything I say this hour, but you just walk away with this impression I need to raise my children for godly living in every area of life. Um, that's, that's important. Just give you an example. This last week, uh, we were in Texas and doing these uh, four conferences. And uh, there was a family there that was just, you could just feel it when you met them. They were just godly. And they had like uh, four, four boys. Doom, 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 doom. Or no, doom, 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 doom. And uh, I, just, I, I just shook hands with the boys. They looked me straight in the eyes, shook my hand, and said, Dr. Beaky, my name is so-and-so. And they just, they were just with it. They were just, you could just feel they were well-trained. And I didn't have to ask the parents, are you aiming to train them godly in every area of life? I could feel it by the handshake, by the look in the eyes, by the words they spoke. Uh, they have been trained. Uh, this doesn't come naturally. This comes with, with work. And God has to bless it, of course. So this morning, at least, I want to look at training in godly living in these um, areas that impinge upon the spirituality of our young people. And of course, God alone can really give them spiritual life, but there's a lot we can do to train them for godly living. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But continue thou, continue thou, in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. 
Gracious God, please be near to us now as we take up this very important subject of training our children, also intellectually and socially and physically. Please be near to us. Please give us wisdom to know what to do, how much to do, and what not to do. And show us thy way through the scriptures and give us understanding and grant that we may aim holistically at the training of our children in the ways of the Most High God. And do bless our meager efforts and forgive our shortcomings. Be mindful of our human frailty as we've just sung. But do give us zeal, zeal, white-hot flame zeal, to raise our children in the childlike fear of the Most High God in every area of their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, training, training has to do with nurturing, molding, shaping. Those are the words that are synonyms of Ephesians 6.4, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The, the picture, picture in the Bible here is like a potter shapes his object of clay. So our children are like being on the potter's wheel in front of us and we're, we're shaping them with every no that we say, with every affirmation that we give, with every direction we put out, with every piece of advice we issue. We're the potter. They're the clay. Some clay is harder to work with than others. I'll grant you that. But they're still the clay. And we're still to persevere at it. So let's look at these three areas. I'll probably spend the longest on the first one, training our children intellectually. So the goal here, according to Deuteronomy 6, text well known to you, is we're to teach our children diligently their whole heart, their whole mind, their, the totality of their being. We're to teach them biblical truth with zeal. So we're not talking about simply, although this is important, to instruct them about the Bible stories, about the contents of the Bible. But we're to encourage them, as we teach them, to think biblically about God, to think biblically about their own faith, about their own lives, and about, as we've been hearing with gatekeeping lessons in the last three, three times, about the world around them, the culture. Now, that all begins by really focusing upon them this truth. Your mind, my son, my daughter, is a gift of God. And on the day of judgment, you don't just have to give an account of your soul. You have to give an account of what you've done with your mind. You owe your mind to God. And you must not give that mind to the world. Paul even uses that word mind as a verb, doesn't he? It's so important. 
such an important part of us. And actually, in Romans 8, he says there's two kinds of people in the world. There are those who mind carnal things, and then there are those who mind the things of the Spirit. And so our task, even though we can't save our children, is to fill their minds with the things of God, with the things of the Spirit, so that we pray and hope that they will truly mind the things of the Spirit. And develop then, develop their mental powers for the glory of God. We used to say often to our children, you've got to do your very best in school because your brain is given to you by God and on the day of judgment, you have to give an account what you've done with your brain, with the mental powers God has given you. So your children need to know, not just once, not just twice, but repeatedly, that God has given them their minds to use for His glory, and therefore, they're to use their minds, to stretch their minds to their fullest potential. Now, what does that mean, practically? Well, it means, uh, it means several things. First of all, it means that we need a system by which we, uh, we control. Uh, so, so, just for those of you taking notes, I'm at 2A now, um, but I, I, w I want to give you, let's see, five, five points here. Yeah, five points. So, so number one, it means that we need a system by which we control the use of things that are anti-mind, anti-biblical mind. Uh, I'm thinking primarily here of the modern media in our homes. If we don't monitor the use of computers and other technology, our children will become passive viewers. Their mind will become squishy. And they'll be consumers of whatever appears on the screen. Sitting for hours as couch potatoes in front of the television or playing video games or surfing the internet or texting their friends or talking on the phone or zoning out with an MP3 player. You see, given enough time, precious, precious time, and enough electronic toys, children can live in a world entirely their own and not develop their mind in constructive biblical ways. So we must limit those devices. We must limit the uses to which children, which we give them permission to use them. And we must limit the time they spend using them and take pains to do the reverse and to actually stimulate their mind with other sources that will do that far better than even decent modern media will do. That means, of course, we have to be aware of what they're looking at, what they're listening to, and with whom they're chatting. So that's number one. Number two, we train them. That number one is a negative one. But number two, positively, we have to be proactive 
in getting good things into their minds, particularly reading material that is a positive alternative to the electronic media system. So are there, are there really good books in our home? And do we read them to our children from when they're very young? One of our grandchildren recently, because Mary and I, you know, wrote these, these four little tiny books illustrated now. More work in the illustrations than in writing them. Um, to tell the way of salvation for very young children, three to six. And uh, one of my granddaughters, our granddaughters, came to me and with the four books in her hand. Grandpa, will you read these? These are my favorite books in the whole house. I'm going like, oh, <laughs> yeah, melting my heart to pieces. But you see, there's a difference between books and books, aren't there? So you want to get the really good books in your children's hands that can really benefit them in every area of your life. And then you, you want to be excited when you read them. Just instill excitement in them when they read. And so read, read, read to your children. I, I said to my wife many times, I am just so, so glad that but we raised our kids and, and in our church, it, what a blessing. We never had television in our home. What a blessing. Fill their mind with all this junk. Oh, I can't imagine. And yet that's 99% of the world. And we, we, we get to fill them with, and so many good books today. We get to fill them with good things that they'll remember for the rest of their life. What a, what a, what a blessing. So, be book-oriented in your... That doesn't come as a surprise for me, I know. But be book-oriented in raising your children. Get them to build their own bookcases. I mean, not the wood, but I mean the books. But put the books in there. So that by the time they're 12 years old, they, they ought to have a nice-sized bookcase and, and have read those books and cherish those books. And you get excited about those books. Uh, you enrich their minds. You inspire their hearts. That was one of, I failed in many things in parenting, I'll tell you. But one area I, I, I love to do, I love to take my kids over to the bookstore, get down on the floor with them, pull out all those children's books on the lowest level. And uh, they come with their money, you know. Even when they got older, even when they were teenagers, they started making their own money. We had a budget for each of them. And 5%, 5% was always for books. And they'd collect $30, $40, and off we go to the bookstore. Dad, what do you think of this book? Yeah, that's okay, but here, maybe this one's better. Okay, we talk about it. And, oh, there's so much fun. But it's also so valuable that they can see, feel how important to fill their mind with good things. So your excitement about books and good reading material will generate their excitement as well. Number three, or C, 
It means, thirdly, to train their minds intellectually that sometimes we have to deny ourselves as parents when we're tired and actually ignore our own bodily weariness and mental fatigue to have intellectual discussions with our children. And my wife was better at that than me and more conscious of it, I think. I come home from work, I just kind of want to chill around the dinner table. She'd often say to me just before dinner, remember, let's, have, let's talk about meaningful things tonight around the dinner table. I said, oh yeah, okay, okay. But sometimes it's easier just to have small talk. And small talk's okay, I'm not saying small talk is bad. But what an opportunity when all your kids are around the table at dinner. Uh, in fact, Mary has developed a, a talk she gives at different conferences on um, something, what was it called? Dinner conversation? Dinner table talk. You know how Luther had his table talk. And so now she's dinner table talk. I said, that, that's great. To have meaningful dinner table talk where kids can ask questions, you ask questions of them, you talk about different subjects, you talk about different current events, you talk about different uh, doctrines of the Bible. And not as quite in a formal way as you do in family worship, it doesn't flow directly out of reading that a particular chapter. That's, that's a few minutes down the road in family worship. But just talking about real things. Now, what does that do for your kids? Well, it helps them not compartmentalize life into the spiritual, and then, oh, everything else is just natural and secular. See, you can do that. Oh, the church is spiritual. Oh, that 10 minutes of family worship is spiritual. But when we get around the dinner table, we didn't talk about any of that stuff because real life is something else. That's the impression you can leave. That's the impression you don't want to leave. You don't want to leave. You want to be talking about real things, spiritual things, godly things, ways of thinking, how to view life around the dinner table. This is an important time to train your children intellectually. So, even when you're tired, it actually doesn't take that much energy to ask them, you know, say, well, did you hear what happened in the news today? Uh, a certain current event, and what, 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 do you think, what do you think our president should do in that situation? Or what do you think we as Christians should do about it? Um, or if they ask you questions about, may, is this right or is this wrong? You need to give them reasons why. And you need to ask them as they get a bit older, what do you think about it? Especially when they get around 11, 12, start thinking really for themselves. Form their mind by asking them to give their thoughts about it. And then you tweak it like you're an editor <laughs> of their thoughts. You're proofing it. Uh, yeah, I think that's right, my son, but you know, have you thought about this? And you add a thought here, or you add a thought there. Um, so you train your children how to think, and you 
affirm as much as possible when they answer your questions. Uh, you affirm as much as possible what they're saying, but sometimes you have to say, you know, I, you've got some good thoughts there, but I think it's not quite the whole picture or something like that. And then you, you add a few more thoughts so they, so they get it. But you want to encourage them, you see, to, to express those thoughts because you're developing their mind. Number four, when you develop their mind, it's very important that you teach respect for biblical intellectual property, if I can say it that way. And what do I mean by that? They need to respect your thinking as father, as mother. And you, if you're a father, you, you, bring, you bring your wife into it too. It's not just you leading this discussion. This is a family thing. But the children need to respect your wife's views, your views, as, as, you, as you talk this over. And that, that feeling of respect should pervade that conversation. And that, by extension, applies to catechism teachers at church. And if you send your children to the Christian school, to Christian school teachers. I can remember my wife saying to me that whenever, I, 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 I was in a public school, so this didn't apply to me, unfortunately. But she was in the Christian school here. And she'd say, no matter what we'd say about what went on at school, my parents said, the teachers are always right. <laughs> so you couldn't. You couldn't gain any ground with the teacher's not treating me fairly or, or whatever. But there's respect, you see, for the teacher. Now, you can carry that to an extreme, of course. Uh, but, but generally, that's the way to handle that. The teacher. Respect the teacher. Respect the catechism teacher. And children will actually learn more of them because they'll, they'll, they'll really believe that they're hearing truth. And truth that's important for them to know because they feel the respect mom and dad have for those, those teachers. And that's a, that's a good thing. You probably heard the story about the parents that came to the kindergarten teacher and they were quite upset with the kindergarten teacher and began to challenge her on some things. And um, things, many of them weren't true. A few of them were. And they went back and forth, and finally the kindergarten teacher says, how about if we strike a deal? Your children tell, tell me a lot about you at home as well, and I'm sure that some of that is true, some of that is not true. So we'll strike a deal. You believe about half of what your child tells you about me, and I'll, I'll believe about half of what your child tells me about you. Well, that ended the discussion very, very quickly. So this, this, feeling, this feeling of mutual respect is, is critical. And then number five. What we need to be very careful, this is just a cautionary note. As you train your children intellectually, do not, do not compare them intellectually in front of each other. I, I just want to say this because I've been in many families where a big mistake is made here. 
So you're sitting in the family, and even sometimes with older kids, and the parents say something like this. Yeah, Johnny, I mean, he, he's our bright one in the family. He's, he's really smart. He wants to go on and become a doctor, and uh, yeah. Well, what do, wait a minute. What, what do the other kids think sitting there? Oh, so I guess I've got to live out a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm, I'm, not very, I'm not very bright. It's devastating. Those kids are probably already internally grappling with the fact that, you know, their sister or brother gets a lot better grades on a report card than they do. The last thing in the world you want to do is discourage them and, and set up a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we can do it so, so innocently, you know. And I mean, I had an older sister who was very, very smart. She was a straight-A student. And, uh, and she, was, she was pretty good at history. So my mother, their entire lifetime of us kids, she died at 92, her entire life she had it set in her mind that Jackie... And she'd tell people this. Oh, Jackie was our, our child who was so good at history. Oh, quite honestly, my sister Jackie is smart, but she only had a couple courses in history in college. I went on and got my Ph.D. in history, but my mother never recognized that. You see, just, just, just didn't enter. I mean, she was getting older, didn't enter her. I knew Tons more than my sister on church history, right? I, I, quite honestly. But, okay, that didn't give me any inferior feelings because I knew that I knew <laughs> more. I wasn't bothered with that. But you see a seven-year-old who's following the shadow of a 10-year-old, and the 10-year-old is smarter. The seven-year-old is going to feel inferior. So you've got you to be very careful what you say in front of that seven-year-old. And by being ex teaching excitedly to learn, to an atmosphere of excitement and learning, that seven-year-old can reach higher potentials than you can probably even expect if the right attitude is there, that you've stimulated. It's the same thing when kids bring home a report card. How do you handle that? Well, my dad and my mom handle it very differently. I don't know if they still do this, do they? But when they put not only the grade, but also your attitude and how hard you, you work. Uh, I can't even remember the letters on our report cards. But my mom would always look at those. And if the attitude was really good, she'd compliment me, even if I did get a A- minus or a B plus. My dad would look at my report card and say, oh, you went down from an A to A-, minus. what's wrong? Yeah, he was more, he was like, you better, you better ramp it up. Now, I suppose the combination was okay, because my mom was always encouraging, my dad was always discouraging, unless you got perfect straight A's, then he was okay. Um, but the good news was they both looked at the report cards, and they both took it seriously. That was the good news. There are some parents that they don't take that very seriously, and it's just, oh, well. I care 
you should be able to say as a parent, I care very much about the intellectual development of my child for godly purposes. I want my child to use his or her full mind in the service of the Lord. All right, let's move on then to training the, the child socially. <clears throat> we send our children out into society to glorify God. Hopefully that's our ultimate goal, by the grace of God. Because that's why they were created. So we're tasked to equip them to live in the world as followers of Christ. But if they do not possess basic life skills, such as knowledge of how to dress appropriately and how to groom themselves or how to handle utensils uh, correctly or how to answer the phone politely and properly or how to greet guests and make introductions in the right way, their witness in the world will be blunted. You've met people like that, right? Kids are very smart and intellectually, they've got it all together, but they're awkward. And they don't know how to handle themselves in social situations. And it loses the impact they could have on other people because they just haven't been trained. So you need to train your children in personal hygiene, care and appearance, modesty in dress, orderliness of conduct, hospitality, personal warmth, a kind of gracious manner about them, uh, kindness, courtesy. These are all biblical values. And children, children are amazing the capability of doing this. Uh, some families I go to, because we travel a lot, uh, you know, you meet the kids, I'll say, you know, how are you? And I'd ask them, you know, what grade they're in, what subject they like, uh, what do they want to do when they're older? And, they say, and sometimes, they, you know, you can dialogue with a child for 45 minutes. A child will never return one question. Hasn't been trained to do that. But other homes, a child will say, well, and how are you, Mr. Beaky? Are you feeling well? And you're looking at this child, seven years old, and you feel like, you know, it's like an adult-to-adult -adult conversation. But you immediately get the feeling, wow, this child has got things put together. This child's got social graces. Well, when you combine that with spiritual thinking of the mind, and you combine it with a godliness in the child, do you understand when that child, as that child grows up, the powerful influence that child can be if that child also has good communication skills? Socially, that's a huge plus, a huge plus. So that's what you want to do. Paul calls these things adorning, Titus 2 verse 10, adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. You adorn the doctrine of God our Savior by teaching our, your sons and daughters to not just know what it means to be saved by the grace of God, to have a good character, yes, but also to be able to communicate that character and to have social graces to relate well to others.
And part of that, of course, is simply showing common courtesy, kindness, and respect. Common courtesy, kindness, and respect to everyone. 1 Peter 2.17, honor all men. You train your children to do that. You train your children, especially for those who are kind of down and outers, we might say, or just don't seem to have things put together or are, 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 are not included. Uh, oh, how my wife pounded that into our kids. <laughs> she did it so much. If you ever see anyone on the playground with no one to play with, you go over and play with them. If you ever see anyone excluded, you go include them. Bring them into the group. This is so important for a Christian witness. Honor all people, especially older people. Your children should do that naturally because you've trained them. Proper etiquette. Social skills are not superficial concerns. Young people, children should be taught good manners as they express their love for their neighbors. And this this whole field of social graces also teaches self-control, self-denial. So that a child, a a 12-year-old child, if you ask a child several questions, a child should instinctively feel after a little while, oh, it's time for me now to ask questions back to the person who's talking to me. Instead of just being self-centered. So we are to teach our children to reach out to the elderly the strangers, the sick, the needy, the grieving, the weak, and to do it with loving attention, kind words, and deeds of compassion. Because that's what Jesus Christ would do. Isn't that true? He conducted himself very politely. He knew how to relate to people. He took up babies in his arms when it was kosher not to do that. He reached out to the old, the sick, the infirm. He was a people person. You teach your children to be people people, even if they are a little bit more introvert. One will take more challenge than another. And then also, you teach your children to enjoy and appreciate fine art, biblical art, I mean wholesome art, not wicked art, and literature and, and, and good healthy music, these uh, cultural common grace gifts don't make it a, a dominant part of their life, but it's part of life. And they need to be aware of that. They need to enjoy these, these common grace blessings. All right, my time is up, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll conclude next time with how to train our children physically, and then I'll have some conclusions um, next, uh, next week. Let's pray. Lord God, so much of what I've tried to convey in this hour is obvious, and no doubt many, uh, if not all of these parents are doing many of these things, but I pray that by reinforcing it in these moments that it just may help them to 
persevere in doing these things that sometimes can become discouraging when children don't respond uh, very well, but help them to persevere and to trust that with repetition and uh, loving firmness, uh, children will be trained well uh, intellectually and socially so that when they are saved and become spiritual witnesses for thee in the earth, they'll be much more effective due to their personality and their social graces and the intellect with which they can also uh, defend the faith. So please, please help us to train our children uh, holistically in every area of life for the glory of God. In Jesus' name.